Welcome to the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Anne Louise Gittleman is a New York Times bestselling author of over 37 books on diet, detox, the environment, and women's health. For more than four decades, Anne Louise has been regarded as a leading voice and visionary in nutrition and who has fearlessly stood on the front lines of holistic and integrative medicine. For more information, check out annlouise.com. That's A-N-N-L-O-U-I-S-E dot com. And here's your host, Anne Louise Gittleman. Hi, everyone. Anne Louise Gittleman here for First Lady of Nutrition. And I want to thank my sponsor, Unikey Health Systems, for giving me the very best supplements in the world. Thank you so much for your gut cleaning supplements, especially the Parasite Cleansing Kit, especially the Probiotic Flora Key, which is my sweetener and my natural probiotic that I add to my smoothies every day. And I'm going to now introduce Dr. Christine Gedrick, who is a thought leader in epigenetics and the science of the microbiome. She is a Harvard graduate, but has gone far beyond conventional medicine in learning about the gut, writing about the gut, and the healing of the microbiome. Dr. Gendrick, how are you? Oh, I'm wonderful. Thank you. You are a master of the microbiome. How did you get so interested in the microbiome as a Harvard graduate? <laughs> So that is actually, I owe that to Lyme disease and recovering patients that had been on potentially years of antibiotics and coming to me because their quote unquote gut was all messed up. So I had to figure out how to get their gut healthy again. And for many of them, their immune systems strong again. And so I started studying it. And then the Human Microbiome Project was launched in 2006. And so there's, there was an explosion of information that came out around that. Um, and so it, it sort of just escalated from there and you know, layer upon layer of knowledge of what was actually happening uh, in, our, in our gut, which is just an incredible study. So do you actually do testing for the microbiome? Do you figure out what the good bacteria is, the bad bacteria, and what doesn't belong there? Parasites, mold, fungus, virus, bacteria? Yes, yes. So this has been a study of mine for quite some time. Um, and we've had a test under development now for, for, for nearly a year that we're about to release in about two months. Uh, and I'm very excited about it. I'm excited about it too. That's why I want you to talk, <laughs> talk about this because nobody talks about the mold in the gut and you and I off offline talked about that. Tell me how exciting that is because everybody's suffering from mold these days, mold and mycotoxins. Yeah, yes, S super exciting, super fun stuff. So. So nobody realized that the gut was, everybody knew about the bacteria, or at least that was the early study. But then they realized that there were these fungi, commensal, commensal is a term that's thrown around, meaning the, the natural or the, the, the organically growing in, in us. Um, and so we are tolerant to them. And there are commensal fungi that are part, very much a part of this ecosystem. In fact, a very dominant part. And in fact, host the bacteria largely. So um, it's fascinating. I could talk far more than the confines of the podcast about the molds, but suffice it to say, um, they operate a lot like, you know, um, mushrooms do in a forest. I mean, if you look outside in nature, you can see a lot of the parallels to what's happening inside us. And so there are two states to them. There's an inflammatory state, and that has been linked to a lot of autoimmune diseases. 
Uh, and then there's a more dormant state, which catalyzes a lot of our anti-inflammatory properties. So, so incredibly important to know what's happening because favorable fungi really stack up to favorable health and unfavorable fungi uh, really could cause a lot of inflammation and, and, and decades of Ill, Ill health and difficulties with the immune system and, and all sorts of trouble. So, um, but, but this knowledge is in its infancy and in how it relates to clinical disease. So how do, you, how do you know if it's inflammatory or non-inflammatory? You, you're, you're perfecting a test at this point, but what, how do you assess your clients now? Uh, so we have used other other stool tests and things on the market. There are we do a whole bunch of testing. So I'm pulling from different realms. We can do. So you're a poop specialist. Yeah, I know. I said I'm going to talk about poop for half an hour. Okay, my favorite topic. Yeah. Yes. No. We 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 test a lot of different things. So it's it's coming from different sources. But I'm I've been working very hard to get um, a stool test that's capturing more of the data that we need. So will it also capture the parasites, the the protozoa, the the worms? That that would be ideal. And that's another you're touching on something else that's been been largely missed in stool. Um, we, we tend to trust the stool tests to be reliable, but the, a lot of the parasites are not evidenced through stool alone. And that's challenging. If you read in the literature, it will often say, you know, they're too high up in the gut that you would not see evidence of them by the time they get down to the lower bowel. And so that's been somewhat misleading. Sometimes it's an empiric diagnosis with our patients. We do treat for parasites quite a bit, but we often, um, we can make a clinical diagnosis of it and it's, it's just an, it's another area that's been missed. I'm glad you touched on that. I wrote about it. That's right. <laughs> Better yet. One of my 36 books. So I'm very much the worm lady. But my oh, question yeah. to I've you- I've seen is, them. The patients bring them to me. So I get to see them. So I know they're there. <laughs> long strings, the spaghetti, the macaroni. The, yeah, the- I've seen them all. In fact, that's where the study began because I had a patient many years ago over nearly 15 years ago now, um, lovely lady who was really, really struggling with all the symptoms of, of active parasites. And, you know, I could list them all. Um, I knew nothing about how to treat them. I had never even, I'd read about them in medical school, you're, ta- you're taught, but I had never actually had an, like, effectively any kind of a tropical parasite identified. And very few identified at that, mostly protozoans through the typical standard um, laboratory analysis here. Yeah. So I trusted she was telling me the truth. And eventually she finally brought them to me in a Pyrex. I was like, oh my Lord. So I called around town trying to figure out what to do. No one seems infectious disease GI. They said, well, take good luck with that. So I, I ended up having to start studying parasitology of sorts. And then I worked with somebody um, that was very specialized in it. And then, you know, be, beyond that, I just sort of developed my own method and model for it, for handling it. So my question is, what do you do for parasites? I'm curious. Do you use medications? Do you use herbs, homeopathics? So for years, I used herbs. I'm mostly in herb. I love herbs. They're, they're my, you know, I try, I try to do as little with pharmaceuticals as is possible. Um, parasites are the one area where you just get much better results if you use the medications. So we um, we will often give a round of anti, you know, helminthics and protozoals. Um, and we use the usually like four main classes of them and we rotate uh, if we're going to do this kind of work with a patient. So what are they, for example? 
albendazole, ivermectin, yeah. alinea. Correct. Praziquantel is another one. Yep. And it's amazing how, um, you know, you know, you know, I often talk to patients about this. We, we, many of us live with pets, right? If you have a pet, particularly a dog, you're deworming your pet monthly, really. Yes. And if you look at uh, the, 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 what are called, you know, you know, zoonoses are these um, parasites that can go between human and, and canine, not, not specifically it's, it's to animals and humans, but the point being that many of them cross and yet we don't think anything, you know, we're loving up with our animal, with our animals. Some of us are kissing on the face or they're sleeping in the bed and we're in the same parks, walking in the same dirt. And many of them, we, you know, and yet the human being in this country, especially, is never thought to need to be dewormed. The way they do in other countries. Huh? Yes, so they do true. this under carpet trees, and they do this with our animals. And they're the same animals <laughs> that we're that we're we're commingling with, but we're not getting the same treatment. So I'm delighted to know that you're a worm, a dewormer, a deparasiter, and now molds and fungus is one of your bailiwicks. So. Yes. What does one do? Why is there so much proliferation of mold? Parasites I'm well acquainted with, but why mold? Why now? So, so interesting. So um, lots of reasons, I think. Uh, first off, you know, there is, we could say a lot about the overuse of antibiotics, right? So there's already, we're, we're, we're setting ourselves up there for a mold overgrowth. And sadly, what we're now discovering is that the early infancy period has a big mark on the mold elements of the microbiome that then can perpetuate through adulthood. So um, that knowledge has to be pulled back through clinical to be more cautious about the administration of antibiotics in the early infancy period. That being said, you know, really the environment is a big, big catalyst for this. Um, and I'm going to go so far as to say something like Wi-Fi and a lot of the electromagnetic radiation is also a catalyst. The molds thrive in that environment. Big catalyst, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we're really setting ourselves up the toxins in the environment. Um, we're, we're, we're heading in the wrong direction as it relates to the relationship with molds. And the evidence of that is the autoimmune epidemics that are that are upon us, right? The, the molds are a big, catalyst for the kind of immunity that triggers an autoimmune disease. So they're very intimately responsible for that through the immune system. Um, and we're, we're paying for it is, is what's happening. So with parasites and worms, you're using regular medications. With fungus, mold, and mycotoxins, what do you use? So there I'm more an herbalist. I, I really use some blended herbal products that are made, they're quite strong. Um, I use castor oil derivatives, even castor oil packs. I use even all the functional medicine. There's, you know, lots of different products for candida and things like that. Um, I don't use a lot of uh, pharmaceuticals. I, I, I will sometimes, but not, not often. It's, it's, I would say 95% of the work I'm doing with molds is, is in the herbal realm. Interesting. What about nice Dan? If I have to, in certain cases, I will. I've even used Iflucan and Spornox. Um, I just am really weighted towards trying to get a natural rebalancing. Of the system. So are you a believer in a lot of fermented foods, probiotics, prebiotics, postbiotics? Mm -hmm. 
I love fermented foods. Um, I don't shy away from them necessarily because of the concern about molds and things. Um, I, but I did for a long time, actually, we fermented foods. I used to make um, sauerkraut and even things like kimchi and such. Uh, I don't have, I don't have as much time these days to do that, but I loved it and I love the taste of it. Um, kombucha tea, I actually like a lot too. And then of course we use all sorts of um, what you just mentioned, pre, post, and um, even the mixed ones, the um, symbiotics now. Hi, my friends. Before I go any further, let me take a moment to, to acknowledge my sponsor, Unikey Health, unikeyhealth.com, which is your universal key to health since 1992. I have been a spokesperson for this company for over 30 years. They're the home of all my weight loss plans, the Fat Blasting Bio Builder, which has been featured in national magazines. They also carry the ultimate brain support and the magnesium multitasker. So whether it's weight loss, internal cleansing, or just targeted health support, go to unikeyhealth.com. Tell them Anne Louise sent you. And so what about foods particularly? Yogurt, are there are particular kinds of yogurts on the market that are the most healthy, would you suggest? You know, we are purists. We've gotten our foods for a long time um, from a farm. And so it's very clean. Um, I do like yogurt. I actually like kefir or kefir a bit better um, just because it seems, although recently, not recently, but in the last few years, a lot of the flavorings and things have come on, but that was for a while more natural. The yogurts got very sugarized or earlier. Um, that's a problem. All that sugar that sits in those dairy products is not, is not so good. So I always tell patients to get, um, and I don't like low fat foods per se. So I get the whole fat and the natural product and then flavored as they as they like even if they want to put a natural jam in it it's far better to add it before they're going to eat it than to buy it already mixed up because the ratios are way off so you need very little to sweeten a nice you know size portion of of yogurt excellent you know you wrote a book called a nation of unwell it was written in 2018 and in it, you talk a little bit about keystone strains. Would you like to discuss that a little bit with me now? What are keystones? Oh, I'd love to. This is a hot topic. So, so hot, very fun, hot. Yes, fun concept. Um, so he, this is how I like to, keystone strains in the context of the microbiome are the idea that there are critical strains that need to be there to degrade the, the basic the basic raw material that's being presented to them in order to feed a robust population of other bacteria. So they're oftentimes cellulose degraders or mucin degraders, which are the basic building blocks. I like to think of them as like kindling for a fire. So if you don't have the kindling, you're never gonna get the big fire, even if you have lots and lots of big wood set aside. And so the idea is that things like acromantia, mucinophilia, um, certain strains of bifidobacterium. There's there's a list of them. The scientists are kind of putting this together um, that are needed to maintain a healthy diversity, which is another term used to, to signal the health of the microbiome, alpha and beta diversity, which we can discuss. But the keystone strains must be there. And if you don't have them, you, you the, really you have a, a real dysregulation of the biome. And um, it's funny because long before this was even known or understood, I would have patients come 
and see me and occasionally tell me that they had their gut had never been right since they had had a course of antibiotic, which was very innocent. It was appropriately prescribed. It was needed for their infection, whatever it was. But they would tell me that, you know, they just couldn't get back to normal or they gained weight after that. Um, their metabolism wasn't right. And now we can understand that this may in fact be what's happening with these certain patients. Keystone strains are getting wiped out and they're not able to repopulate the gut in a normal way. So if we can identify that with stool testing, we can supplement and um, very in a very targeted manner and patients will often feel better very quickly. So what is this I hear about the gut-brain connection? Can you expand? I'm sure you can take another whole podcast to do that. <laughs> oh my gosh, where do I start? Everything, it's all, it's all connected basically. The signals are going up and they're going down. So let me start by some of the signals going down, right? So we all know that meditation is considered to be a very healthy thing, right? So interesting, <clears throat> the re one of the reasons that meditation is such a healthy thing is that quorum sensing is the way the gut microbes talk to each other. And when you are relaxed and you are not secreting the amounts of cortisol and epinephrine and stress hormones that are cir might circulate under stress, it down regulates the fungi. They actually quiet down and become less inflammatory. So this is, yeah, it's very cool. This is one of the ways that the things we do for our mindfulness are impacting our gut microbiome in a top-down manner. Similarly, most of our neurotransmitters, in fact, you know, 70 to 80% of our serotonin, for instance, is manufactured in the gut. So we used to think of, you know, everything related to our mental health as happening in the brain, but the gut is intimate in producing these neurotransmitters that then, you know, circulate throughout the body. So if you have a chronically leaky gut and a permeable gut, you know, gut um, barrier, you're going to have real trouble regulating your neurotransmitters in a, in a very normal way, which is why we have to clean up the gut <laughs> to make people feel better. So what else does the gut influence body, mind, and spirit wise? What else would we be surprised to know? There's the gut brain connection. There's the gut skin connection, the gut liver connection, the gut kidney connection. Right. It's really, it's, it's the hub with the spokes, right? So it's, it's the gut, everything connection. It's really connected to everything. And the thing that I find very interesting is what's called the metabolic crosstalk. So this is how it can, this is how it's communicating. So I'll give you a very easy example of this. The micro, the, the microbiome in the gut has the ability to signal microbiomes in other parts of the body, namely the lung being another example. So 10, 20 years ago, urban legend that if you cleaned up your gut, ate less sugar, your asthma would improve. Now we actually know that that's true. If you eat less sugar, you have less candida overgrowth, that signals over to the aspergillus, which is the dominant fungi that lines the respiratory tract. And you have down regulation of aspergillus, which creates less inflammation in the lungs and an improvement in asthma. So it really is the hub. It's the hub of everything. Yeah, basically it is. If you keep your gut healthy, you know, the aging, the aging process is effectively the changes that are occurring mainly to the gut and then impacting the cellular level of our health as we go through life. So everything that we can do to keep our gut healthy is going to feed forward into 
reversal of the aging process. So are you a believer in colonics or in coffee enemas? Yes, I, 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 colonics, I would like to say one quick thing about there's, there's two types of colonics out there, as you know, <clears throat> and the closed system, while I don't have anything to say um, per se negative about it is, is does have, does have to be done under proper guidance. The open system, which is what we have in our clinic, really doesn't have any uh, concerns with it whatsoever. Is that um, the angel of water? Yeah, yeah, the angel of water. So it's really a lovely um, device in terms of its ability to help clear out a lot of the biofilm and the, the toxicity that accumulates. You know, I, I use very simple analogies, but they work. Eventually, the pipes in your house get clogged. You have to clean them out. We have, you know, 30 feet of gut that over a lifetime, if you're not cleaning it out in some way, it, it develops sludge. And that's really a large, the, the colonics help so much with that. And they really clear brain fog very quickly for some. And so we don't use them in everybody, but we definitely use them a lot. And they are very helpful. I'm so glad to hear that. I'm a big believer. Tell me about castor oil packs. So... I don't know if I was the last one to read this memo, but a thing, a light bulb went off in my head one day, many, this was a long time ago, but <clears throat> castor oil, undecyclinic acid, which is one of the active ingredients, is a powerful, powerful antifungal. So when patients are constipated, we would say use a castor oil pack to use, a, use they used to use it orally even, <clears throat> but certainly over the liver. And a lot of times you get relief. And you get relief from other things as well. But it dawned on me exactly what was happening. The castor oil is seeking, is going through the skin and affecting the liver where a lot of the fungal elements <clears throat> are residing in the enterohepatic circulation. The fungi are throughout the entire gut system. So it's downregulating inflammation again in that way. And once the fungi go dormant, you have... Um, you have a facility of the bowel movement. So that that was another interesting connection that well, maybe everybody knows this, but all of a sudden it went off. This is why castor oil is so powerful for the gut. So are you using a internal supplement as well? I know there's one by Thorne. It used to be called yeah. SF722. Is that That's something? It. Yes. That's it. That's the one we use. So it's a yeast killer and a fungal killer. Yeah, it's great. I mean, but you know, castor oil has been known for a century Ages. to be helpful. And the now hand, we the hand of Christ. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And it, it was all about the, the fungi and it makes so much sense. I mean, when you look the aging process in nature, you see a tree that's being overgrown by lichen, right? And, and molds and things, you know, the tree is not much longer for, <laughs> for, the, for the forest. For this world. Yeah. So why did you write A Nation of Unwell, your book? That was your first book, am I right? Yes. So what prompted you to write the book? You know, I had my own very, very dramatic personal health crisis. And I became very empowered after that around the idea that people could heal and that our bodies have infinite wisdom. And as physicians, it's our job to try to unlock that. That's, that's truly the art of medicine is using tools to unlock healing because that's what we want. And pharmaceuticals are wonderful, they save lives. I have no bias against them. But in terms of long-term strategy for optimal wellness, 
they are not long-term strategy for optimal wellness. They're, they're helping people live lives by, by, by ameliorating or, or blunting their symptoms or, or shutting off certain pathways of inflammation that can be potentially life-threatening. But ultimately, getting back to a state of balance and wellness um, is what everybody's goal should be. And as physicians, it's more incumbent upon us to try to figure out what that process looks like. So I really wrote it as a call to arms to say, you know, we're not going in the right direction here. We are sicker and sicker as a nation. People are more and more complacent about medications piling up, taking three, four, five things by the age of 40, 50, 60, whatever, and not believing that life doesn't have to look like that. I mean, I have 70 year olds, even 80 year olds in my practice that are feel great and are not taking medication. And yet that's a bit of an oddity today. So it was really sort of a wake up call to say to both patients and medical profession, you know, we really have to look at this a bit differently. We've become very dependent in our thinking and we're not inspired and empowered to believe that we truly can be well. I mean, I had 15 diagnoses given to me at one different times in my lives that None of them needed to go away. And I don't have any today. Mm. And I feel great. So how do your uh, associates regard you? Your more conventional associates. <laughs> and do you care? I don't, know. I don't know. I think, you know, I've worked for a long time, very hard and, and had some, some very nice outcomes with cases. I believe I've, I've gained the respect of some based on that, but they still don't know what I'm doing necessarily. <laughs> It's more, it's more just, she's, think, you know, she's scientific and she's cautious in her methods or she knows, you know, whatever they're thinking, um, they don't necessarily know. I, 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 it was very difficult in the beginning. You know, the, the early years of practice were much, much, much more difficult. Do you take people long distance? Do you believe in telemedicine, the Droic Medical Institute? Yes, we can. We, you know, we, we have recently restructured and so most most of my work is really relegated to an intensive program we found when we had patients coming in and committing to their health goals and staying locally and receiving treatment consistently we were getting an excellent success rate you know very high um never a hundred percent but i'm going to say close to 90 and it was so satisfying so that's basically how i work at this point is just these intensive it's called intensive care program and it's it's 90 day it can be longer if needed but or you know shorter perhaps but the idea being that there's a commitment to really returning somebody back you know turning somebody's health around cleaning out their gut getting them detoxed and healthy again and 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 I I love the work it's great it's it's an, it's wonderful and so that's that's how I'm working at the moment <laughs> Excellent. Now people can find you at the Gedrick Medical Institute in Morristown, New Jersey. Gedrick is G-E-D-R-O-I-C. We lose the O. Yes. Yes, exactly. Is there, is there another website we should leave our listeners with? If they have specific questions, they can email office at gedrickmedical.com. So that would be the only thing that's more specific. And to get your book, A Nation of Unwell, is that on Amazon? It is. It is. And there'll be a second one released this year. It doesn't, we don't have a release date, but I did write a second book two years ago that's waiting to come out. <laughs> and what will the title of that second book be, doctor? Most likely, if it doesn't change, it's optimal wellness. Why healthy is no longer enough. <laughs> I love it. Why healthy is no longer just normal. 
Yeah, you can't say you're healthy anymore and, and necessarily be healthy because all these people thinking they're healthy are getting these surprise diagnoses. So we need to do much better with our diagnostics. And, and knowing, that, so knowing what your gut is doing is important. <laughs> know what you're good. Do you see did you see any changes in the gut since COVID? That'll be my last question. Yeah, yeah. The COVID is definitely destabilizing the biome and bringing out some old infections in people. Um, Interesting. Yeah, very, very, very interesting, and and but but can be fixed and restabilized. So that's the good news. Thank you for being my guest today, Dr. Christine Gedrick. Will you come back? I'd love to, and thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for listening to yet one more segment of First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Have a beautiful, God-free week of health, happiness, and shalom. Shalom of Racha, my friends. And please don't forget to subscribe and like First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Thank you so very much.